I think that, you know, real estate is pretty popular now. A lot of people want to get into it. And, but there's some people who are like, eh, I just want to make the money. And they're not really interested in learning the craft. And I would say that's a mistake. Like, I'm not saying like real estate is not for everybody. Like this, this, you don't need to do this. Like there's other options out there. We happen to be like, we've drank the Kool-Aid, you know, like we like, we like sure. real estate. We think it's great, but like, I love the craft. Like I, sure. this, this is the, the, the little stuff. The, I love the learning. I love, you know, being on a call with like you and I have talked recently, Bradley, and just like asking you questions and, oh, what's going on in your market? How's that happening? You know, how do you negotiate this? What, if you, if you have an interest in this, then I think you'll, you'll be willing to stay for the long run. Like you're talking about. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into the podcast. So excited you're here. Real quick, before we start the show, if you want to download the House Hacking Blueprint Guide, it's going to show you everything you need to know about house hacking so you can get started right away. Go to the link in our description of the podcast show, or you can text house hack all one word to 22828. Text house hack all one word to 22828, or go to the link in the podcast description, and I'll send you a copy of the House Hacking Blueprint Guide completely free. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. We have Chad Carson back, who's honestly meant more to me and my personal journey than probably anyone in the real estate space and the house hacking space. Uh, I see your book is right behind you there, Retire Early with Real Estate. It was probably, uh, it was the most timely book I ever read in the real estate space. So uh, Chad, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, Bradley. Always happy to be back. And I, I'll never forget that uh, email you sent me after reading the book. It was just one of the best, one of my happy emails. You know, I, lo- I love getting those. Yeah. You know, you're still the only author I've ever emailed. And, uh, you know, I've read on, untold amounts of books now, you know, probably 200 books or whatever in, in kind of the space. But um, that book really, really resonated with me. So we're going to get into that. Um, I really want to talk about some of that, but I, I just genuinely appreciate you coming back on. Of course. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, just just very briefly, because I know in previous episodes, we kind of went through uh, your journey and all of that. But um, I, 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 from reading your books and talking to you, I know your story about house hacking. Let's talk about, if you would, kind of those first couple that got you started, what got you into the real estate space, and just so people get a little better understanding of where you came from. Yeah. So I, I had sort of a parallel path in real estate. I was both in the business of real estate investing, meaning I flipped houses and I found deals for other people. That's how I put. I made a living and put food on the t- food on the table. Not a lot of food early on. I was like eating ramen noodles and hot dogs and stuff like that. Uh, so I wasn't making a lot of money the first couple of years. Uh, but then simultaneous to that, I was doing what uh, you do such a great job of teaching on this podcast is by moving into a property and kind of making your residence be your first investment. And that was certainly the case for me. Uh, my first couple of deals, I had a single family house that I actually just lived in for about nine months. Uh, I don't talk as much about that one as I do my next one I'll tell, talk about, but the single family house, I had a, another investor uh, finance the property to me because I, I could get in with a $5,000 down payment. And that's about all I had. And he owner financed it to me. It was a student rental property. There were like a bunch of guys living in this house, like four students. And it was like, you know, just a mess and everything was, you know, horrible. And I, I moved into it and my brother moved into it and we just kind of turned it into a little kind of first time home house hack, basically had a couple of roommates. And then, but I, I quickly learned that that property was not as good a cash flow. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't saving me as much money as I wanted to. And so then I moved into like the ultimate house hack where I, I lived in a fourplex and I lived in unit number two and I rented the other three units out. 
had it uh, paid for my mortgage payment and my taxes and my insurance, plus a little bit of maintenance. And I just fell in love with the idea from there that a rental income on a property, whether you're living in it or whether you're just keeping as at a rental, a general rental, could pay for all your expenses. That's amazing. Like you have a ten, you have tenants who are uh, helping you buy this property. That just it blew my mind. And from that day forward, that was the that was my my formula. That's I wanted to I wanted to continue making money flipping houses and doing some of the other stuff I did. But the long term buy and hold, where the the rental income kind of keeps stacking up, that was the the true love I think over the long run. What sort of uh, barriers to entry mentally maybe did you have that, that I'm sure a lot of, you know, we get a lot of first time house hackers, uh, people that want a house hack this year. Um, there's so many stumbling blocks and barriers to entry. Like what is, what were some of those that you faced and how did you sort of overcome them, uh, you know, back in that time? I think perfectionism is a stumbling block. I think particularly people who are interested in real estate investing, you know, most people are pretty high achievers. You've, you've, you've done some good work saving up money. You probably have a good job. Maybe you're an entrepreneur who's making money. Whatever you've done, you've been pretty successful in your field, whatever that is. And here you are coming into real estate investing as a new investor. And you want to be, you have this perfection idea. Uh, at least I did, you know, and you wanted to be really good. And yet you're a beginner. Like when, when we're beginners, when we learn to ride a bike, we fell off our bike or we, we skinned our knee up a little bit. And so I think it's unrealistic to expect that you can be perfect. So what I, I try to have more of a, even today, like when I do a new venture, when I'm doing something new, uh, I'm in, I'm in YouTubing and podcasting. Like I try to have this attitude that I'm just going to fail forward fast. And I'm, I'm, tr- I'm not going to make the biggest mistakes. I'm going to try to eliminate the, the huge mistakes that would just kill me, uh, you know, as a, in a career or kill you in real estate, but you know, be okay with, with not being perfect. So for example, like on your first property, you got to get the financing, right? If you can get a 30 year fixed financing where the rent covers all of your expenses, plus, you know, your, your core expenses, your mortgage, your taxes, your insurance, your maintenance, your management fees, like that's the fundamentals. Like if you can at least just cover that and you get a 30 year fixed mortgage on that, you know, you could mess up some other stuff. Like maybe you missed that the heating and air is only five years old and it goes out in one year instead of five years. You know, there's some other things that you're going to mess up along the way. So how do you cover that? Well, have some cash reserves. Like that's, that's, that's how I kind of bailed myself out from a lot of my mistakes. So that, that's, I guess my point is that like, you can't learn everything. You've got to study. You got to listen, listen to podcasts, but at some point you got to get to like 80, 90% of the knowledge you need, and then just jump in and learn that other 10 or 20% as you start swimming, you know, and that's, that's a little scary because that's entrepreneurship. Like no, no entrepreneur that I've ever met has known everything when they got in, they just made the decision, assuming that they would then learn that other 10 or 20% when they got in there. Yeah. I heard, um, one of my favorite authors say uh, in a book recently, if you'll do anything for long enough, and he put the timeline of five years, you know, the questions you start first start to tell yourself is like, how long can I go? How long can I do this? How long can I do this? But then at some point in the transa- transition, and he, he says it's after two years, you start to transition from how long can I do this? How long can I study to how far can I go? How far can I go? And uh, I, f- I find that to resonate most with me when this conversation comes up with with newer investors and people want to do it. Like, you know, where's the market going to be? Uh, are we at the top of the market? You know, I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to really predict that. I, I I look at the fundamentals. I look at the market. A lot of it at times doesn't make sense. Um, but we've been having the same conversations for, you know, seven years now, uh, kind of in, in the community. And, and what I usually tell people is the only way to really you know, focus on something and, and, and really become an expert at anything is, is to start to, you know, just do it. 
because what I find that people that analyze and overanalyze is they, they eventually fall off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, if you just hit a single, if you just get a place, like you said, that meets those fundamentals that, you know, that you get into, it's a base hit, it gets you started, it gets you engaged, you start to really understand uh, some of the fundamentals, like things that runners look for, uh, things that, you know, the, the end consumer looks for, like you start to study these things, you start to go to meetups, you don't get burnt out, right? Like it, it becomes fun because you're doing it, it's emotional attachment to it. And so I love that answer, um, you know, that you gave on that, because I just, I feel like so many people sit on the sidelines, look for perfectionism, and they end up getting burnt out and fall out, uh, because they don't start, you know, falling forward and failing forward, like you say. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing I'm hearing you say there, Bradley, is like, the love, the love of the craft. Like that's, that's been something that's in my mind a lot lately. Like, do you actually love doing the thing itself? And I think that, you know, real estate is pretty popular now. A lot of people want to get into it. And, but there's some people who are like, eh, I just want to make the money. And they're not really interested in learning the craft. And I would say that's a mistake. Like, I'm not saying like real estate is not for everybody like this, this, you don't need to do this. Like there's other options out there we happen to be like, we've drank the Kool-Aid, you know, like we like, we like sure. real estate. We think it's great, but like, I love the craft. Like I, sure. this, this is the, the, the little stuff. The, I love the learning. I love, you know, being on a call with like you and I have talked recently, Bradley, and just like asking you questions and oh, what's going on in your market. How's that happening? You know, how do you negotiate this? What, if you, if you have an interest in this, then I think you'll, you'll be willing to stay for the long run. Like you're talking about, if it's just, if it's just a little, you know, oh, I'm just going to dabble in real estate a little bit you know, that's probably not the the right answer. Like, I think, you know, go find something else that you are a little more interested in, or if, or just don't just, just invest your money in an index fund and just forget about it. Like just press a button, leave it in an index fund, never look at it again. You'll, you'll be, you know, be fine. That's a passive investment. I think real estate has some more benefits that index funds don't have. It's a good compliment to that, but you're the, the, the downside of real estate and the upside you have to be a little bit more involved, at least on the front end. Um, it can become very passive later on. And that, that means it's got to go through your brain. It's got to go through your decision-making matrix. And so if, you're a, if you see yourself as a craftsman or a craftswoman and you're interested in the craft, then for the rest of your life, you could be interested in this. Like I, I'm, I've been in this 20 years now almost, and I'm still interested in it. And I still, there's so many things I don't know. And that's, that's kind of the fun of it. But it, it, it gets you past these short-term ups and downs of the market. And into the longer term ideas that you just talked about, the fundamentals, the the long term trends. Is this the neighbor? Is this city a good city to invest in? I wonder what this, you know, Clemson, South Carolina is going to be like where I am 10, 20 years from now. I'm going to ask those questions. And I wonder what the best construction style is for a house. Like, is it this material or that material? Like, get genuinely curious. And then you'll keep learning and you'll keep learning and you'll keep getting better forever, like for for the rest of your life. And I, I found that maybe I'm weird, but I find that kind of fun. No, for sure. I'm the same way. Um, and that's why I think for anyone that hasn't read your book, retire early with real estate or gone through your course, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's probably the best book in the space um, because everyone's a little bit different. Um, the book doesn't focus on just one strategy. It focuses on, uh, you know, all the, all the ideals, but mostly trying to find what suits you. And then once you figure that out, looking beyond the ups and downs of the minutiae of today, 
you know, and I, I think so few people focus on that and you do, and you focus on, uh, you know, what I love about you also is that it's not right or wrong. It's what fits you and what doesn't fit you. Right. You know, you talk about the snowball effect, uh, you know, of paying down debt. If somebody has the goal of being debt free, I mean, that that's a phenomenal goal, right? Uh, I love how you focus on, you know, um, playing, you know, being, you know, not focusing on just growing to grow. Uh, but sometimes a lot of people, you know, having just a refined, a good portfolio that's going to pay for retirement, things like that. Uh, and that's what your book really focuses on. And and I think it, I just think it's phenomenal. Well, appreciate that. Yeah. It, a lot of these are like me touching the fire and getting burned. So it's not, it's not like uh, there wasn't any moment of enlightenment, but it's like, I wrote the book because my business partner and I wanted to eventually, we had this vague idea of what we wanted. We wanted to live off our real estate. We wanted to have options and we wanted, I realized in 2007 we, my business partner and I bought 33 deals in one year. Like we got really big and we had people we were paying to help us. We had a team. So we, we get, we kind of tried out the big thing and we tried it out the wrong time, right before the great recession, like right before it fell off the cliff. And so it was a very, you know, emotional moment in some ways, but it was also sometimes you learn the most from those emotional experiences when we just, we bit off more than we could chew. Um, we were quote successful for a little while flipping houses, but then it, it forced us in that time to ask ourselves the question, like, why are we investing in real estate in the first place? Like, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? And we were kind of copying other people's models for success of being big and flipping a bunch of houses. And that's great. Like that, that's, that could be fun. I'm not doubting that at all, sure. but we had to ask ourselves the question. And that's what you're alluding to there is that what is the life situation that I want to have? Then let me build a real estate plan around that. And it might be for, this is what I found for many, many people out there that having five, six properties, maybe two or three properties, and just having those be solid properties that are well-financed or maybe even paid off could be all you need like that. That can, that can provide, provide three to 5,000 bucks a month with very little hassle. And if you just start there and say, all right, how much bigger do I need to be? And I happen to be bigger than that. Like I have more properties than that, but I have a business partner and we've asked ourselves the question, all right, how much bigger do we need to be? We kept growing a little bit, but we've actually hit a plateau where we're like, I think, I don't think we need to be any bigger. In fact, we're probably a little too big. So, for, you know, so we've started over the last five, six years, just like kind of trimming it down. And, and, and that's, a, it's been a really hard thing for me to do because there's a lot of mindset around achievement and identity, my own personal identity that is wrapped up in, a, in achieving and doing well. And I'm good when I'm buying properties or I'm good when I'm making more money and more is better. Right. Um, that it's been like in a, it's kind of a personal journey as well, which I think is good. You know, it challenges, it challenges you a little bit. But I had a mentor one time tell me that don't you don't want to wrap up your your excitement in life and your emotionals in life with your investments. Your investments should be boring. They should be like very stable. They should be boring. They could be fun buying a property and fixing it up, but don't like get those two things mixed up. Like you, you want to find your excitement in doing other things in life or starting another business or doing other things and just make sure you're not buying more and more and more and more and building this huge empire just to, to satisfy something else beyond what the money, the money is. Hundred percent, and you know that's where um, that's why I really I support. You know, I, I try to uh, tell people if you want to go through a course, I genuinely think you know Chad's because it's eccentric on on the individual itself and not just what um, you know getting bigger or or 
or getting further in debt or whatever, you know, it's just some people want to do that. Some people like myself, you know, want to grow or whatever, uh, maybe, but others just want to pay for retirement or retire early or go focus on some, you know, uh, high, you know, whether it's nonprofit or whatever it is they want to do. And that's really the focus of, of a lot of things you do. So I do appreciate that and, and kind of focusing and touching on what you alluded to, which was going to 2008. You know, you you were at the peak at one point, and we're not entirely sure what, where we're at right now in the, in the cycle of real estate. But we know that peaks and valleys are are you know that's just a part of the markets as a part of real estate. Talk to us about going through that, house hacking through that, and how uh, you know people that are aspiring to house hack this year or next year in the coming years should approach. How much they should take into you know. How much stock they should take into where the market is now, or versus how much stock they should look into over the course of the next ten or twenty years? Yeah, the, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to say with my experience. One is that you know I experienced the 2007, eight, nine cycle, and history rarely repeats itself exactly. You know, it's like there's never like it's, it's a mistake probably to say, oh, this looks exactly like 2007, eight. Therefore, we're going to have another crash after like just like that. That's probably not going to happen. But history does repeat itself in some of the broad lessons that we learn. And so I'll try to pull out a couple of broad lessons that we learned from our experience. The, the first was that it's really, really difficult to time markets at all. Um, you can, it's kind of fun to listen to people making predictions, but I mean, I always go back to Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, people like that who've invested for years and years and years who are really smart, a lot smarter than I am in terms of investing. And they say that people who try to predict or time markets make fortune tellers look good. Like they make people who try to predict your fortune and predict your future that they make them look good because they're they're so off. Like market predictors are so bad and so have no track record of getting it right. So it's just entertainment. That's that's the main point. And so if that's the case, if you believe that, which I happen to believe that, then what does that mean? Like, should we just put our head in the sand and just forget about all the statistics and look at all this? Like, no, that's not what we have to do. What my approach to what I learned from 2007 and eight was the best approach is kind of be, let's use a sports metaphor here. I used to play linebacker and I was right, right in the middle of the defense, which is, you know, I'm trying to tackle the people running the ball and I'm just in the middle of everything. And there's these huge 350 pound linemen who would like had a, an angle on me would come and try to block me and throw me on the ground. And, and so my job was to avoid them. Like I, I had to have a head on a swivel. Basically, I'm always looking like, all right, who's going to hit me from this side? Who's going to hit me from this side? That's sort of what is what we're like as a real estate investor in the market, especially if you're a new investor, you've got to just be prepared for the something coming from the left, something coming from the right. It could be inflation, could be deflation. It could be you losing your job. Like there's a lot of things that could happen. And typically they're going to be unpredictable. There's going to be some, they call these black swan events in the economic world. And so instead of trying to predict which black swan will come, instead of trying to predict exactly how that's going to impact the economy, that's just entertainment. Instead of doing that, try to be prepared for all sorts of different situations. Now, let's get specific with this. Like, what would happen if we had a lot of inflation over the next few years? Like, what if, you know, prices of bread and milk and these things keep going up? You know, maybe it'll happen. Like, I don't know. It's already, we're having some inflation right now in 2022. Well, what would you, what would your portfolio need to look like? Or how would it, be, what would be the best portfolio to have if we had a lot of inflation? Well, typically it's you want to have a fixed debt when you have a lot of inflation. So if you have a $1,000 mortgage payment, Let's, yeah, let's say a thousand dollar mortgage payment on a, a house that rents for two thousand bucks. Like if you could fix that for the next thirty years, then the cost, the main cost you have, that debt is fixed, while everything else is going up. 
the price of rents going up, you know, everything. So you're going to make a lot of money. Like let's say 10 years from now, your rent's 3000 and your mortgage payment's still a thousand bucks. Like that's a recipe for a really good inflation hedge, like having a quality property that's going to attract good tenants. That's going to have a fixed cost on this, on your main thing, your debt. Like that's a great play for infl- inflation. So that's, that's being prepared. All right, so that's one way to prepare. But what happens if we have some other weird situation where the market goes down? Like instead of a $2,000 rent, now it's going down to like 1,700 bucks. That's sort of what happened in 2008 and nine. We had sort of a softening of the market. And who knows if, if there weren't, was not a lot of government and uh, kind of inter- getting into the markets, maybe that would have gone down to like a thousand bucks. I don't know. So that's more of a deflationary kind of risk at that point where prices go down. And what do you need to do to prepare for that? You need to have some cushion between what your property rents for and what your expenses are. That's why you need to buy properties with some cash flow right off the bat. So if you have a $200 a month cash flow, then in a, in a down market, you have some room for that, that rent to like go to zero and not go to negative right away. And you can also have some cash reserves. That's what we did pretty well. We had we made money flipping houses in 2004, 5, 6, and 7. And we set aside almost all that money. So we had a really big cash reserve. I think we had over 100,000 bucks in the bank. And, and so we needed it though, because we had some properties that we underestimated our repairs. We just made mistakes. We had some negative cash flow on some properties. So we ate into that 100,000 bucks, but we were able to survive. Like we went through a, a year or two, we weren't making as much money. So that, that, those are like very practical examples, having cash reserves, buying properties with fixed interest rates, um, set it, making sure you buy quality properties. You and I have talked about this, Bradley, like don't short in the good times. It's really easy to rent properties right now. It's really easy to sell properties. Don't take the shortcuts. Like don't, don't do the things that just because some buyer will buy the property without appliances or with something else, like, you know, do the thing that's the, the right thing for your customer and that, you know, in your heart and in your intuition, like, all right, that's, that's the right thing. That's, that's the thing that's going to make this buyer really buy this property quickly. And then if the market softens up, either as a rental or as a selling the property, you're going to now be much more competitive than the other people. Because right now it's really easy to sell. But in 2007, 8, and 9, I mean, it was very difficult to sell properties. And so people flipping houses had to, had to change gears. They had to lower their prices. They had to... So, so that's, I guess my, my whole, this is a very long-winded point here. But rather than predicting what's next, if you want to have confidence of buying properties today, just be prepared. Like don't, don't, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to get broken either way. You want to be anti-fragile in all sorts of situations so that you can thrive if it goes down, you can thrive if it goes up. And, and, and you do that by having reserves, um, being deliberate with your numbers and just pacing yourself too. That's where the keeping it small. Like if you, if you out, like we made the mistake in 2007 of just getting overextending ourselves. Uh, we just got, we, it's like eating a Thanksgiving dinner and having like your fourth or fifth plate instead of just stopping it too, you know, just have that second plate of food, digest it a little bit, wait till you've digested it. Then, you know, eat the next meal later on. We kind of took the four or five plates and we stuffed ourselves, and we had to deal with the indigestion, you know, of the great recession. Yeah, no, I like to, uh, uh, tell the story a little bit about, you know, when, back when I was really getting involved after I had flipped a couple and got into, um, you know, house hacking in 14, 15, 16, um, you know, it was, I'll never forget, like we're heading into a, a election year and a lot of the big pundits like Robert Kiyosaki specifically, which I, I love Robert Kiyosaki, but in, in 2015 specifically, like he was really on a, on a, 
on a roll about like the, the economy is going to crash. It's going to be, you know, way worse than 2007, 2008. And I remember losing sleep over like a lot of those thoughts and all that. And um, not that, you know, I still listen to a lot of what he does. I think it's important to understand both sides of the argument, but I remember, you know, considering like, should I even buy, should I just wait? And, uh, and, and a lot of people forget like, for multi-units back then, even if you're owner-occupied, uh, interest rates were in the fives. I, I, my first, you know, my my uh, four unit that I bought um, was a five point seven interest rate. You know, that was a that was a FHA, you know, owner-occupied property and stuff. And so, I mean, that's a that's a huge interest rate now compared to nowadays. But that was kind of the the going rate. You know, the upper fours. But but if you were doing multifamily, it was it was upper, you know, mid to upper fives. And um, you know, and, and so I just, I lost a lot of sleep and I don't know how much, you know, comparative it is now, but I mean, in a lot of markets, it's doubled and tripled since 2015, you know, the, the, uh, the values. And, and, and I, I guess the point of that is just like, I, I try to tell people eliminate the noise, you know, focus on the fundamentals. What I love about, you know, what you teach is you teach the fundamentals in an ABCD approach to the market, like understand your market in an ABCD. I'd love to hear you touch a little bit on that. Yeah. Understanding the principles of fixed rate debt, uh, one of the things that really got people in trouble uh, back in 2007, 2008 is, or, you know, previous to that was uh, variable interest rates, not fixed rate balloon payments. Um, you talked a lot on your podcast about how Dave Ramsey uh, went bankrupt, you know, when he was in his 20s. And a lot of that was note investing and, and things, you know, balloon payments and all those sorts of things. But if you can, you know, when I tell people a lot of, you know, I, I as, a, as an agent myself, help a lot of house hackers, it's listen, let's focus on hitting a single, let's focus on getting fixed rate debt, let's focus on eliminating or coming close to eliminating uh, your mortgage payment, um, you know, focus on getting in good tenants, providing good housing. And even if market events turn, you're still going to be in a better position than, you know, the, the person down the road, uh, you know, that just bought a house. Right. Yep. And so the, the, at least the way I look at it, my portfolio, my wife and I is the value of it is much less important to me than the fundamentals of the property, you know, and, and having good tenants in and providing good housing and, and all those sorts of things to, over my lifetime, I'm sure the property value is going to come and fluctuate. I'm sure at some point, uh, you know, my, my, the value of my portfolio is going to go down significantly uh, or at least a little bit. But the baseline of, of rents and quality tenants and providing good housing and, and being good landlords and all those sorts of things. And at least my hope is that that will outlast any market conditions. And I genuinely believe that. Hey, everybody, just a quick break from the podcast. I wanted to let you know about the Discord server I started called House Hackers. It's a community that we're building for house hackers and people like you to come hang out. So whether you are looking to get your first house hack, you've already been house hacking, or you're an experienced real estate investor, this is a great place to hang out with like-minded people like you. All you got to do to join is go to the link in the podcast description, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And let, let, I mean, let's, you want to dive into a couple of those that I think yeah, are- Yeah, yeah. let's go through yeah. the ABCD uh, yeah. you know, approach to market valuation. What is that how, and how can somebody uh, kind of analyze the market they're in? Right, well, yeah, I want to go a little bit higher level even, and I want to get sure. into that as well. But like what I think you do, like having a good real estate agent, and I'm not just saying this because that's what you are, but I, I, I coach people that either you or your agent- are your are your number one ally because the the knowledge you have of the market is so critical because the, if you looked at the fundamentals of real estate like real estate is is just like a puzzle and on the one side of this puzzle is the money so we're going to talk about the financing so you're putting the money together with a property and that's really as simple as it gets two pieces of a puzzle right and and so your real estate agent and or your property manager they are the they're your resident expert 
you hope, you know, if you find a good one, not all agents are as good as others, right? Sure. But if you, if you have a good agent, they're going to help you understand all those things you just said about your location. And so let, let's talk about that. Like what makes a good location? A, a location in general is just, you got to start from your customer and say, where does my customer want to live? Like I'm in a college town. And so a lot of my student customers, I, I have not all students. I have grad students and people who are trying to be more affordable rentals. Like I'm not, I'm not renting to the people who have like the luxury, you know, big pool with a, you know, a workout room and all that stuff. Like we're, we're people who are paying their own way through college, either like an international grad student or mechanical engineering major. Who's like having scholarships and having to work on the side. Like I, I've kind of got them dialed in. So like, what do they want? They want to be along a bus line so they can get to campus easily. They want to be um, walkable to campus, like a, a mile and a half, two miles, bikeable somewhere in there. If they could be on a safe bikeway or something, that's really important to them. If they could have a place that's affordable, like what's affordable mean? And so look at that. And so you work it backwards. And one of the one of the like rough rules of thumb is like an A, B, C, D grading. You can just grade almost every town has like the A property is like the best location in town, the best meaning like the most expensive. So if you you can look at it from a price standpoint, and you can also look at it from a rent standpoint, it's really easy to find. Just look on Zillow, look on realtor.com, whatever. Just like you will start seeing the parts of town that have the most expensive properties. Like I actually make Google Maps and I circle these areas and say, all right, that's the A location. And then I move out from there and I say, okay, what's, so I'll give you really like in my town, like a $2,500 rent, $2,000 to $2,500 rent would be like the top of the market for single family houses, right? Um, and then for apartments, it would be like $900 per bedroom uh, would be really expensive. So if like a two bedroom would rent for $1,800. So th those are downtown, they're close to campus. But if, if you go uh, farther away, like a half a mile away, you'll find some pro uh, houses that rent for $1,700 or $1,800. And then you find some apartments that rent for more like you know um, $1,200 or so instead of $1,800. That's more like a B location. And though and you keep on going down the scale, you can all the way to D, you know, C and D or, you know, I, I consider like a C, like a working class area, um, a D it, it just depends on what town you're in, what a D looks like. But in my area, sometimes there's there, a D area is like, it's the lowest rent. So for me, it might be like a, a five or $600 rental and Clemson where I am doesn't have many D areas. You have to go outside of town a little bit to find those. And those are usually your older buildings. Often the buildings need a lot of work. You know, the apartments need a lot of work. Um, there's some opportunities in D plus areas. If they're moving into a C area, if there's like a good trend in that area, but there's also, you have to be careful. This is where your agent comes in. If there's an, if you're in a D location and the two houses next door are vacant and the landlords are never going to fix them up. And there's people who are you know living in those properties and squatting in them and there's drugs going on. Like you can't, it's hard to win in that kind of location because you don't have control over that. So my point here is you, you have to, there's no like scientific grading process here, but a C property is probably going to be your best bet for cash flow because you're going to, it's going to be a little bit lower price and the rent to price ratio is typically going to be a little bit better. An A property is going to be very difficult to cash flow but it might be the most desirable location. So in my area, that'd be like a you know five or six hundred thousand dollar house that rents for two thousand dollars per month. Like this, that rent, the price, this doesn't always make sense. So so for an investor, if you're house hacking or something, you have to decide for yourself. Like there's no right or wrong there. There are people who buy properties in Manhattan for you know five million dollars that have very little rent just because they want to own a property that's not going to go away. 
But that for a lot of us is starting as house hackers or small investors, we typically find ourselves in like the C plus B minus type properties that have a little bit more of a, like a kind of a balance of cash flow and growth. And that's where I've really made my living. That's where I've, I've had C properties that turned into B minuses. I've had B minuses that turned into A minuses, like my best properties. And you make money on the cash flow, you make money on the growth, and but you're starting with the location and then you're all, then you're adding those you're you're shopping for good numbers on top of that so the, the, this is where your agent your property manager really helps you out and so now let's kind of focus in on you know maybe they found the market uh, maybe they found you know a good lender that that'll help them get you know thirty year fixed rate debt or something to the effect of that. Um, what are, what are some of the steps to identifying houses, strategies for finding houses, um, things like that? How, how do you help you know newer investors find the right deal? Well, I start with MLS and you're a real estate agent, so you, you know you, you always have. A, you, I, I love having a good real estate agent on your team. If you're a new investor in particular, like I, you, you're just going to borrow their expertise. So a, a real estate agent can send you MLS listings every single day automatically. That that's free for you until you know when you buy the property. Typically, the person who's selling the property pays the real estate agent fee. So as a buyer, that's just a no brainer. I think that's really smart. But in a competitive market. You might want to go a little bit beyond that, and this is where I'd be curious what you think, Bradley, on what what is possible for an agent. But um, I'm finding some of my successful students are being a little bit more proactive themselves. They are doing a little bit of driving for dollars, maybe they're walking for dollars, they're looking for some off market properties. Either they or their agent together are looking for off market properties, meaning they are going into the neighborhoods themselves. Either if they're local, they're just doing it themselves. If they're not local. You know, maybe their agent is helping them do that a little bit, um, and they're just identifying some properties. And so there's maybe they're sending them a letter. They might get ten or twenty properties that are vacant or that are a little bit run down, and there's no for sale sign in the yard. Like there's nobody saying, "Hey, I want to sell this property." You're reaching out to these people and saying, "I'd like to buy your property." And the more per- this is what gets into a little bit of a marketing, like the more personal you can be, the more uh, authentic you can be. Uh, with marketing, this isn't being like a salesy, you know, kind of kind of stuff. This is just being yourself, and this is this can be to your benefit. If you're a couple or a young person who you know just starting a new job, like tell them your story. Like I'm looking for a duplex in this area. I'd love to live in one side and rent the other out. Uh, I notice you've owned this property for a long time. If this is the right time for you to sell, I really wish you'd consider me. Here's my phone number. Here's my email. I'd love to talk to you. You know, something direct like that. I've had so much success over the years with those personal letters and just sending them out, sending them out, sending them out, or talking to neighbors or talking to the owner that if you if you have their phone number, call them up. Um, that's that's making a big difference in a competitive market. But I've, I've been doing that for 19 years. Like that's that was the very very first thing I learned when I was 23 years old was how to do marketing to outreach to directly to owners. And back in 2003, it was just as important as 2022. You know, that, that, that direct relationship really sets you apart from other investors. hundred percent. Yeah. And it's so, uh, each situation is so personal, you know? And so, uh, for, for us, we do a ton of that. We, I have a whole team, uh, dedicated to, uh, you know, off market stuff. Um, and then myself, uh, last year, um, I'm not even sure how many, but, uh, several off market multifamily I was able to get for, uh, people who are either looking to house hack or just buy in general. Um, in, in particular, there's one broker I have a great relationship with, and, uh, there's somebody that wanted to find a land contract. Um, uh, you know, for, for a multi-unit and, uh, you know, and, and so finding, yeah, going back to your point, I mean, finding obviously agents aren't created equal. Um, you know, I know that better than anyone. 
you know, I find it, I find it to be most helpful, you know, for people to ask probing questions. Uh, I always tell people the easiest way, I think if you don't have somebody that comes to mind uh, for a great agent that's going to help service you as an investor, it is to call maybe the, you know, top three or four or five uh, brokerages in the town you want to invest in. Talk to uh, the the you know later gentleman that's at the front desk and say who in the office uh, you know is an investor themselves and works with investors. That person at the front desk knows that entire office you know as good as anyone, and they will generally be able to point you into the agent that will best be able to suit you in that office. And maybe uh, each you know two or three agents uh, from those brokerages uh, you know that will give you one. So you go talk to two or three of them, figure out which one's the best suit. Um, you know, I think that is a great approach for, you know, people are looking for uh, somebody that actually invests themselves and actually understands what we're trying to accomplish as investors. Um, so there's kind of, you know, step one of, of maybe finding that. I think that's the quickest, most efficient and, and best, uh, way to do it. Uh, maybe even asking around for, for, to other investors, but a lot of times we don't know, you know, the investors mm-hmm. that we should know and going to meetups, you never really know who's the real investors and who aren't. And right. And so, um, I have found that to be a very effective, but then beyond that, yeah, we, we do a lot of off-market stuff. And like I said, the connections that a really good uh, agent has to that town, you'll never, you know, generally speaking, you're not going to be able to replicate very easily. So doing a lot of off-market stuff is is good. Um, but a lot of times I've been very effective of calling these owners. A lot of times I know the owners and being able to sell the idea of of doing some creative things. I sold the idea to for this particular individual to do a land contract. Um, I am convinced that, you know, it, it's just say, you know, being able to sell the idea of doing things is very, very important. And yep. as a new investor, it's very challenging to do that uh, to these sophisticated, often sophisticated landlords that own these properties. And so right. having somebody in your corner that really understands uh, what's going on, it, being the fact that I do this daily is very effective, uh, I have found for other people. Yeah. And I just want to point out how rare, I mean, it's rare to have an investor agent who is doing what you're doing. So like first message is like, if you're working with somebody like Bradley, like you better latch onto them. Like that's not normal. Right. But the other thing is if like, I love your advice and I've shared that I've borrowed that and share with so many people that if you don't have a Bradley yet, if you don't have an agent who has experience who invests themselves, then asking the office manager of, of a local agency or multiple agencies for the investor agent, that's a, that's an awesome tip. And as a way to kind of cut through some of the noise to find that person, to find that person, not only who's an expert, at finding deals, but also I found that a lot of the deals are sort of hidden. Like I, I know you, you know, your market so well that sometimes everybody else looks at this property and they're like, Oh, that that's not a deal. But then, you know, that the zoning allows you to do something different, or maybe you could add another, you know, you could split that into a duplex. I mean, For there's sure. just so, so many little nuances that a good local agent investor will know those nuances of deals. And that's where the deals are. Like they're, they're, they're very, very often, they're not on the surface a deal there. You have to dig a little bit. And that's why like that local expertise is just irreplaceable. Like you, you just, you need to find that person. Otherwise you're going to be missing a ton of opportunities. For sure. And, and at the same time, I also tell people, because I do this a lot, I get uh, people on the show. I encourage people, Hey, reach out to me. If you're in a specific market, you don't have an agent. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make some phone calls. I'll dig into their actual stories, making sure that they're either investor or house hacker. And so I do a lot of that. I do a lot of these conversations, but I also tell people up front, 
um, because I used to do this before I was licensed. Like you also have to put in some sweat equity too. Like you go hit the streets, you go find properties, pass them off to the agent maybe, or whatever, say, Hey, I found this, this, and this maybe potentials. They do some digging, right? Like uh, a lot of times there's unrealistic expectations that maybe just the agent's just going to spend an enormous amount of hours finding the perfect deal for you without you doing anything. I think there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a balance to that, right? Like you go doing a lot of driving for dollars, send them some connections because uh, again, like the ability to sell, we have such, you know, just as just salesmen and people that are genuine in the, in the community and area have such ability to sell a a vision and and why things can get done um, that most people can't. For instance, uh, I'm working with um, a house hacker right now. Uh, 203Ks can be challenging, right? Right. In this market, they can also be challenging to sell to many different people that are, are, you know, going to be a part of the loan, right? It's challenging to find a loan officer that's willing to do a renovation loan right now. It's very, it's even more challenging to find a contractor that's willing to go through the paperwork, right? So what I, what I told him up front, I'm like, listen, uh, you pick the market that, you know, let's pick the market you want to go in. I am going to do a, a lot of selling beforehand to find a contractor. And so, so what I did was I called a couple contract, you know, prominent contractors. I said, listen, I've done several of these. I've done some personal. I have a great lender that that carries these out. I'm going to personally be doing pretty much all the legroom for you. Uh, what I'm going to need from you is my my client is going to pay you to inspect the property. That's what I always tell my clients, uh, you know, in situations like this. Listen, contractors know what they're doing for the most part. You may still want to hire somebody to scope the the sewer system and things like that. But let's pay a contractor to not only give us a quote on the property, but also to inspect the property. And then beyond that, if he finds problems with the HVAC and, and things like that, we can hire an additional uh, person to get in there. But it's a great way because contractors don't want to come quote this whole thing for free. So you have to pay, you generally have to pay an inspector anyways, pay the contractor. So anyways, long story short, like finding a great agent that can sell these things for you, in my opinion, is invaluable. I know for a fact that 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 deal would have never come. Not that not me, you know. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I know for a fact that it would have been almost impossible for him to put all that together without me selling the vision to these individual uh, people along the way within that um, deal. I had to sell us even getting under contract to a prominent landlord that didn't want to deal with FHA, right? I had to sell, so that was my first hurdle. And then we got him down twenty thousand dollars. Anyways, you know, long story short, like there's a lot of sales that goes into putting something like this together. It's invaluable, in my opinion, to hire somebody that, again, you're not directly paying for that can, you know, if they're worth their salt and they understand they're willing to put in the work for you, you also have to put in some work. But there are a lot of things you have to sell in order to make something like this come together. Uh, and I just don't think people, you know, you can't, you don't know what you don't know. And so, yeah. you know, finding something like that, I think is, is super important. 100%, 100%. And this, this has been the, the case for me for 19 years that t- your team members are your, that this is like a basketball analogy for John Wooden used to say, like your most, if you want to be the most valuable player on your team, what's the number one ingredient to do that is to have an awesome team around you. It's just, you cannot replace that. And, and real estate's so critical to have that, that team member. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I, that component of it, I think is important. Um, but then, you know, kind of beyond that, let's talk about maybe, you know, we found the agent, we now found the, pro- you know, found the property, whether it's off market, um, wh- how should people kind of analyze a property beyond that? How do we analyze, especially in a market like today, where sellers aren't really fixing a whole lot, there's going to be deferred maintenance, probably. How do you address some of those scenarios with properties? What's really important to look for that, that would be a deal breaker? What are things that we should kind of factor in and, and not uh, necessarily be deal breakers when we go to analyze the property, inspect the property? 
Yeah. I mean, assume, assuming you have a good grasp on the location. So like, that's, that's my assumption. That's why we started with that. Like you, you got to, you and your agent together are saying this, this location has long-term potential, then you can take the long-term view. And at that point, it's all about the numbers. Like it's just, it really is like, it's, you can't overpay for a property. So if it's a, if the numbers don't work, if you add up the purchase price, plus the repair costs, plus your closing costs, and then you look at your rent numbers and it doesn't meet your cash flow criteria that you want, then you got to walk. Like you just got, you got to move on. At the same time though, like I've, I've seen people having the mistake of getting so wrapped up in like the short term cash flow. Like cash flow is important. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very cash flow centric investor, but there's a balance between like, are you looking to make money on this over the next 10 years, 20 years? Or are you looking to make just the maximum money you can in the next year? You know, that's it's which one is it? And if you are, then Sometimes you you might want to spend it might be okay spending an extra five thousand bucks to do something to a property that's going to make it more tenant proof. It's, it's going to make it a better property for your tenant. It's going to make it have less wear and tear over the next 10, 15 years. So I, I think I'm, I'm going back to your question about like running the numbers. The, the numbers are the numbers, but you got they got to be in the context of the the bigger picture. So how are you going? What's your business plan for this property? How do you plan to make money? And when, when I look at it, I was running some numbers on some properties this morning um, for a student. And you, you can kind of slice it into three main layers that I look at. There's how much return on investment I getting, am I getting from the cash flow? That's like a cash on cash return. And so you might want to set a goal for that. And you got to be realistic about what's what's good, but maybe that's a 6%, maybe that's a 10%. You know, and I'm not sure what your what your location like. It looks like um, you know for a good deal, but you know if you've if you've included all of your expenses for me and my market in a good location, a six to ten percent cash on cash is pretty good. So that's one component of a good deal. The next component, though, is don't forget about that over the long run you're paying your debt down. So like if you have a thirty year loan and you, maybe you have two hundred dollars per month and principal pay down, so that's like twenty four hundred bucks per year in additional profit kind of you're that you're making eventually. And then if you're in a, another, uh, this is where the 10 to 15 year plan comes in. If you're in a really high growth location or, or lo- location where you think has really good long-term prospects, you know, maybe you make another 2% or 3% per year or more, you know, some locations have a very high inflation rate or appreciation rate. You know, you're making more money from the, from the appreciation too. So when I, when I underwrite a deal, I like to make a, a solid return just from the cash flow. But that's not enough. Like for me, a six percent return on a on a real estate deal is not worth the effort of leverage and doing all this effort and put all this time into it. I want to see that overall, like the total return. I I call this an inter- you know, I don't. It's not my term for it, but I look at an internal rate of return to say that over the long run, when you put all that together, am I making like a a fifteen percent return? You know, maybe a twelve percent return at minimum. Sometimes twenty percent return, but I have some kind of cutoff there. And then it's just numbers. It's just like, does it work or does it not? If it's if I'm having to do all that effort and my total return on this deal is like an eight percent all in, like, eh, that's that's probably not a good deal for me. If it made, but so you 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 personally as an investor have to set a threshold for yourself, and you got to think about the opportunity cost because you could take the same amount of money you're putting in this deal, and you could just go invest it passively in the stock market or something. And whatever you think about the stock market over the long run, you know, it's, it's reasonable that you can make a six maybe a 10% return in the stock market without doing anything, right? You're just letting other people do the work. So that's what you always have to compare it to. You're going to have to say, I'm going to do this work, put this effort in. I'm going to take this leverage to borrow this money. I just want to have a number that at least my, my business plan says that I have a good chance of making a spread, you know, a premium over what I can make, just putting it in a more passive type investment. 
Sure. No, I love that. And um, man, I want to dive into that because two years ago, my wife and I kind of uh, transitioned from a focus on uh, cash flow, you know, immediate cash flow and wanting our, our portfolio to cash flow us the most, uh, you know, right now to more of a long-term approach um, because, you know, we felt like for a variety of reasons, that was very important. And um, for, for the existing portfolio and what we were acquiring and all of that, um, let's, because everything I hear you, you talking about today and, and myself included, it took me a while to transition from a focus on immediate, you know, gratification, immediate return to, to a focus on longer term, uh, you know, wealth building. And I think that's really challenging to get to. That's a really challenging mindset to um, allow ourselves to do for a variety of reasons. How do you go about doing that? What, what, you know, what should people, uh, how did you kind of develop that? And how do you teach newer investors to start to think of things in a more long-term horizon rather than, uh, and, and, and there's, there should always be a focus on both, but I think right. too many people focus just on the immediate and a lot less on the long-term wealth building. I think part of it, this is the way I learned most of my stuff, Bradley, is me touching the fire and getting burned and saying, ow, that hurt. <laughs> like I got burned. Um, so I, I got burned on some properties that, that when I ran the numbers up front, these were some of my best cash flowing properties. So I'm thinking of one. It was in Nor- uh, Norris, South Carolina. This is like right outside of Clemson. You know, it's about f- uh, t- five miles away, seven miles away, something like that. And the property on paper, like you know, I'm just I'm trying to think what the numbers were. Let's say I bought it for eighty thousand bucks, and the rent on this entire property there was three separate units on the property, it's like a house, a trailer behind it, and then another little house. And I think the total rent was maybe. 1500 bucks, 1600 bucks, right? And so like 80,000 investment, $1,600 in rent. That sounds pretty good. Like just, you know, your numbers, right? Sure. Is that, is that a pretty, probably a pretty good cash flow? Right, right. Well, well, the, the reality of that though, is that this is why like, I'm really big on bookkeeping and running, keeping your books really well so that you can track your cash flow over time. Sure. So I started tracking this property and we had a lot of situations. We had turnover where the property turned over pretty often where every nine months, 12 months, the tenant's moving out. Now we got to get another tenant and we got to fix the property up. Or we had to evict somebody because they weren't paying on time. And for whatever reason, this property just was not attracting long-term tenants. And to add on to that, these were old properties. And so although it looked like when I first analyzed it, it was like, oh, 80,000 bucks, we'll put a little bit of money. So we put some money into it. Um, but things started breaking. This is where like the stuff below the ground, this is a 1950s house, like some of the, the plumbing uh, had issues and kept leaking. The heating and airs went out, the roofs had to be replaced. And so these were kind of rookie mistakes. I just, this old property, that had, it was going to cost me a lot more than 80,000 bucks. So it was going to be you know more like you know, probably another 40,000 bucks on top of that, that I needed to spend to get all the bones even better. So let's call that 120,000 bucks. So now that's not quite as good on the cash flow, right? But then I, if you add on to that, the fact that um, the location was not, the, the next door neighbors were doing, were dealing drugs sometimes. And I didn't own that property next door. So the fact that they were, they, the landlord was not being very discerning and attracting good tenants and fixing their property up. It doesn't matter what I do to my property. It's going to be hard to keep tenants there. And the market rate might be 1500 bucks for those three little units, but I can't ever keep a good tenant in there. So, so, all right. So the, the whole lesson there was that was like the perfect example of like on paper, wow, that's a great cash flow property. It should have been like a, you know, 12%, 15% cash on cash return kind of thing, but it wasn't. It wasn't in the end because the maintenance was really high, the turnover was really high, and it was more of like a D plus location. 
As much as I did to it, even though I fixed it up, it was not turning into a C property. It was staying as a D property because I couldn't change the, the location around it. That's on one extreme. There's other extremes. I've, I've bought some properties that were in really good locations. And right off the bat, they made just a little bit of cash flow. Like I, I think of this three bedroom, two bath, single family house that we bought. It was our first rental, actually. And we put 5,000 bucks down. We kind of used creative financing from a from seller financing, buying it subject to the mortgage. And it just made a little bit of cash flow, kind of broke even early on, which is not great, but it got us, it's a single, you know, it's got us in the game, but it was a fairly new property. It had very little maintenance on it over the long run. It was also in a location right near a good elementary school. It was just an up and coming area. And we sort of lucked into that, right? Just like we lucked into the bad deal, we lucked into that one. And that one has gotten better and better and better over time. And what started off as a $900 rental is now renting for like 14, 1500 bucks right now. And although our payments are fixed payment, you know, our, our interest that we have on the property is the same. Now we're making an additional four or 500 bucks per month. And so that deal has just like sweetened over time and our tenants stay for a long time. Every time it's vacant, it's easy to rent. We have very little hassle with our tenants and we have some maintenance here and there, but like th- those are like the tale of two properties for me. It was like on the surface that went, the second one did not look that good. And the first one looked great. But in the end, when I ran the numbers and, you know, 15 years later, the first one was horrible and we sold it. We got rid of that property and we moved that money somewhere else. And so the, so the, the long and short of it for me was, it's not that you should buy like the A locations or avoid the D locations. You just like, I, the happy medium for me is fi- finding properties that make some good cash flow, but that also have that qualitative, they have their quality to them, the quality of the location, the quality of the property, like that stuff matters. It's going to turn into numbers at some point. If you buy an old property, it's going to catch up with you. Like you're going to have to fix that stuff. Yeah, you know, there's... I, there are slumlords out there. I'm going to say, I have to fix stuff. Like and Bradley's going to have to fix stuff. There's some people who ignore that stuff and they just, the tenant complains about it. And there's like, ah, whatever. You just have to deal with it. Like I can't sleep at night doing that, but some people can. And so most of you listening can't do that either. So you, so you got to find a good balance there. And the probably the properties are going to make you the most money are the ones somewhere in the middle I have found. Like if you can find a good combination of cash flow plus growth, that has not only been the best moneymaker for us, but it's also been the least hassle. It's allowed me to travel. Like when we're in South America or in Europe or doing all our things or being on a podcast like this, I'm not, I'm not getting my phone blown up because of issues. It's just a lot easier to manage as well. Sure. Sure. hundred um, percent. So to kind of wrap it up, I want to, I want to do something a little bit uh, different than usual. You know, I want to, I want to inspire a little bit of a maybe action. So we're going to go ahead and assume that everyone that has made it this far into the podcast is, is, you know, wanting to house hack. Um, let's assume that maybe they're first time, you know, house hackers and, and they, you know, they've identified at least a, a broad range of, of a market. Uh, maybe they haven't found an agent. So that that's maybe an action step, but, but beyond that, like what are, what are maybe two or three things that, that really you focus on new, you know, new investors owning in on something really starting to take actionable steps to toward reaching that goal that again, most people never actually do because they're, they're focused on so many different things. Yeah. Let, let's start with the money. So if, if, if you get a, get pre-approved for a loan, like that's, that's so critical. 
Like most of us don't have enough cash to just go buy a property. So if you can go ahead and get your lender lined up and this might, this might come through your agent, your agents are really good at connecting with good lenders. So that's another, if you've already take that action step, but if you get a good lender, either an online lender, you can go to through some of the online you know sources or find a local mortgage broker, uh, whatever you're more comfortable with, but get them to approve you for the type of loan that you're going to be getting, whether that's FHA, whether it's a conventional loan, go ahead and have them go through that process. Number one, so that if you are approved, they can say, all right, here's your letter. You're ready to go, go shopping. But they might also say, hey, you're going to probably need this much cash. And maybe they tell you, you're going to need $15,000 cash if you buy a property at this price. And maybe you only have 10,000 bucks, or maybe it's 30,000 and you only have you know, 20,000. Um, I've had a lot of students who just had to be a little more patient. They had to save a little bit more money. They had to change their strategy a little bit. Maybe they had to look at a different price range so that the money is critical. So if, if you if you shop for the money first, then making shopping for the property uh, is going to be a lot simpler. Um, so I think that's a key. The other key is I think you mentioned a, a key point with agents. I, I think a lot of new investors expect too much from their agent. You should expect a lot, but you, you've got to meet them halfway. And one of the things I try to coach my students to do is to build a, what's called a target property profile. And this is, it might take a little bit of work, but you can start practicing on this. But what you want to do is like have a very specific idea of what type of property you're looking for and what the rough numbers are for the property. So even if you're a rookie, like even if you don't know what you're talking about, you just listen to this show and you've got a couple terms here and there and um, you know, at least try to write down what you're thinking at the moment is the type of location you want, the type of property. Maybe you want a duplex that can pay for 100% of your living expenses, right? Maybe that's your goal. Write that down and then talk to your, and then also write down what kind of property. Would you like to be close to a park? Do you want to be close to work? You know, what, what are your criteria? If you go meet with your agent, if you find a Bradley that's a good agent for you, and you've already written down your criteria for what you're looking for, I mean, you tell me, Bradley, is that going to set that person apart as a client compared to like the nine other people who are like, oh, just find me a good deal, Bradley. I don't, you know, whatever. I, I think those are the money and the, the specific target property profile will set you so much further ahead uh, and you'll be, you'll be ready to go. For sure. And then beyond that, you know, maybe even taking a step further is they, they understand now that you've identified that it's asking them, how can I, you know, how can I, you know, should, what else can I do, you know, and kind of making it a 50, 50, listen, you know, I'll go, I'll go drive this neighborhood. You go drive this neighborhood. I'll find properties. You know, I tell people, uh, you know, often um, that come to me with this question. I'm like, listen, I, I want to be as helpful as possible, but I can only do, you know, so much let's, let's work on this together. You go, you go find, you know, maybe we'll do it together or you go find some properties or I'll start doing some callings. You start doing some mailings and we start doing it a little bit of both. And then when you do get in touch with people, I've found it. I mean, you know, I understand how this, sell, uh, you know, I understand how to sell division for somebody, right? It, I tell you know, people come to me with FHA pre, uh, pre-approval, 203K. I, I set the expectation up front, <clears throat> understanding, listen, if you're, if you're trying to uh, buy this from landlords and you go to try to, you know, approach him and you bring an FHA, I mean, at least from my, I'm not sure about you, you know, you and your market, but they'll... Uh, 95% of landlords in my area will laugh at it. Some of them, you know, you might find somebody that isn't quite understanding and they might do it, but most are just be like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Right. They hear all the horror stories as an agent, you have to be able to sell. Right. So it's a, it's a collaboration. Um, I, you know, and I, you know, kind of, you know, somewhat of a marriage, right. Let's work on this together. You, you, you know, we have to find, you know, we're not finding what we want on the MLS. Let's find it off market, right? I'll make calls. You make calls. I'll write letters. You write letters. Uh, and then when we do find people and then I, you know, I step in as well, if you found it or whatever and really negotiate and sell division and sell a, hey, listen, 
you know, this, this, and this might come up because, you know, deal with it with FHA, but we'll address it or whatever you got to do. You got to sell the fact that, you know, 203K, you know, you hear all these horror stories. I, you know, I've done several of them. This is how it's going to go. This is how I'm going to make it efficient. I've already, I got all the team members on board. We're going to make this quick, easy and efficient and, and save you money or, or make, you know, whatever. Um, and you have to be able to sell the vision. And so it's a, it's a marriage between the two. hundred percent agree. And I, I think what, what I'm hearing though, is you, you're, you have some confidence together. Like if, sure. if you, if you come as a brand, the, the mistake I'm seeing a lot of people, this is an action step. Is there understandably you're new and you're uncertain. There's always going to be uncertainty there, but to the extent that you can bring a little bit of clarity to your team member, 100%. you're the quarterback, your, your real estate agents working for you. They're, they're an expert there, but you, if you come in there fuzzy with not much idea of what you're doing, you're not going to get as much from that relationship. So I, I think that's the, you, this is why you're listening to the podcast. Like this is why you're studying from somebody like Bradley online. If you want to come to my podcast as well, like that's, that's why you're learning. Don't just learn passively, like have a plan. And that's what I, I love this action step. Uh, Bradley is like every, every time you learn something or listen to something, there should be like, write down the thing you can do to take away from that, that lesson. Like, so today you listen to this, you should be calling a real estate agent, you should be or calling the office manager for the real estate agent. You should be calling some kind of lender or applying online. And you should be creating a, a very simple just list or bullet list of things that are your what your criteria are for now of a property. Like that, that's huge. Like those, you do those three things, you will be light years ahead of a lot of other people. Yeah. And to add to that criteria, like I really tell people right now, like with with you know, with the uncertainty with the market being as as strong as it is and in most markets, like you don't understand that hitting a base hit is a huge win, right? Like I tell the story of, of, you know, when I first started, I don't even know if I told you this, Chad, but um, I lost every penny on my first place I bought. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tenant got murdered. Um, You know, long story short, I I just lost it all, right? It was was my entire life savings when I was 20, 21 years old. Um, And, you know, and and for whatever reason, and we talked about this, I think on your show, you know, uh, when I was on it was, you know, I I think football really ingrained the ability to, you know, pick yourself back up when you get knocked down. Um, you know, and that's kind of how I kept going. But I tell people like, that's how I started. Like I lost everything. I lost, you know, 10, 15, $20,000. Uh, I don't exactly know, you know what it was, but it was, it was everything I had at that point. Um, and so if you can just get in and hit, get a, hit a base hit, understand, you know, real estate, uh, get in a, a good, you know, a, a decent market, right. A B market, a B minus market, a C plus market, whatever you want to do, whatever price range you want to stay in. Um, but you hit a base hit, the fundamentals are there. You don't have foundation issues. You don't have major plumbing issues. You don't have major electrical issues. You know, you, so you get a solid uh, uh, inspection, you know, and, and all of that, you cover the, you cover the bases, you hit a base hit, it, it comes close to covering your mortgage or it covers your mortgage. Um, you know, if you can do that, like that's a huge win. And it, and it, it, it hits a, you know, you, you get a foundation to then grow there from, you know, but I feel most people are so focused on, on, you know, hitting a home run, hitting a home run, uh, that it, it leads to, you know, analysis paralysis and, and never really taking that action. hundred percent agree. Well said. Chad, I, uh, like I said, I appreciate you coming on here. One thing I wanted to highlight, I believe your, uh, spring course is coming up, correct? Yeah. So I, twice a year. Thanks for, for mentioning that. I'm, I've kind of gotten in a rhythm now. I can't, I'm trying to think you, you were one of the first years we did it. And I'm trying to, it was that 2019, 18, like, man, it's been, it's been a while that I've, I've yeah. been teaching. 
been teaching is it used to be called real estate start school. Now it's real estate deal school, but it's, it's really evolved. The focus of it is uh, helping people do what we're doing today. Like how do you become a deal maker? If you're a brand new or if you're an intermediate investor, you just want to get better and, and get some help and some go through a live training basically of buying your first property. That's what, that's what it's, uh, that's what it's all about. It's a, uh, uh, it's an eight week course. We kind of sometimes go over a little bit, a couple weeks over to 10 weeks, but it's just, it's uh if you find yourself in this stage where you're like in the analysis paralysis and you just know that you need to go through a, a live session with somebody who's kind of look over your shoulder and kind of give you some accountability and like a group coaching kind of environment. That's, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I've gotten to meet so many great people like you, Bradley, and other people in the course who I, I get I, I get the best job because I'm following along kind of co-pilot watching people buy deals and and it's it's, it's fun to see people's minds transform a little bit where they're 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 not they're thinking and they're very skeptical early on. I don't know I can do this. And they go from that to okay, here's the steps I can do it. And then the, at the end they're like, I can do this. Like this is my you know, I, it's not gonna be easy, but like here are my steps, here are what I got to do. And that's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And so if, yeah, if, if people want to check it out, it's uh, you can always you go to my website, coachcarson.com forward slash courses. And I, it's it opens twice per year, once in March, once in September. Uh, but if that's, this is the right time for you to do that. I always enjoy working with people. No, for sure. And I've been a part of, I believe the last three as a teacher's assistant, it's been a lot of fun. Talk a little bit about like my favorite part about it is the breakout sessions and the ability to get a little bit one-on-one, no matter what you're looking for. What I love about what you do is you, it's not one size fits all. It's what is it that you really want to do? Do you want to understand wholesaling? Well, that's an entire, uh, you know, subject in itself. And you have to get really good at a lot of different things. Do you want to become a flipper? Do you want to uh, become a house hacker? Do you want, you know, you have all these different courses. Talk talk a little bit about that and, and, you know, kind of the breakout sessions and what people will, will gain from that. Yeah. So we, we have two live sessions a week and that's, that's what really sets this apart from like, you, you, if you read a book, like books are wonderful. Like I love reading books. You, they're the, probably the most action-packed and best return on investment you can get for 18 bucks. You're reading all this information. What a court was different about a course though is the live interaction. And we've all taken courses in school before. And when you have a when you have a teacher and when you have mentors or like TAs, teaching assistants who really care about what you're doing, you then get to ask them questions and you get very specific advice. So the way I've got it formatted now, and I've actually evolved this a little bit since the last semester, Bradley's is on one day a week. So on Tuesdays, that's the class that I teach live. So as the teacher of the course, and we go through a lot of the stuff we're talking about this week, like we do, uh, how do you identify your target market and find your ABC location? And then how do you find your financing one week? And then how do you build your team the next week? And how do you run the numbers? And how do you find deals? So those five core things. But then the second live call of the week is more of a workshop breakout session. You know, and so I give you homework. I say every week, here's your assignment. Like you should be calling your mortgage broker this week, or you should be analyzing your market this week. But a lot of us, I know how this works, is we all get stuck there. Like it, it sounded great when Chad was explaining it, but now here I am stuck and I don't know how to do this myself. So then you get to ask a person like Bradley, who's been, you've been really generous with your time. And, and, and so I have a, a group group of, of TAs who then we have a zoom breakout room basically. And you just go to these small groups and you get asked questions to amazing people like Bradley, who, who then help you do your homework basically and say like, I'm trying to identify my market. I know Chad said, this is what I do. I'm here in this part of Michigan. Like I, I, I'm trying to figure this out. And so it's, that's where the rubber meets the road. There's very specific 
tactical kind of questions. Um, that's that's usually the gap between what you read in a book and how you actually do it yourself. And that's what we're trying. I'm trying to help people kind of bridge that gap. And, and that's where your confidence come in and mentorships, everything, right? You, you played sports. We both played football. You know, when, when, a, when a coach sits next to you or stands next to you, and you know, theoretically how to tackle or do something, but then the coach says, no, look, like move down a little bit. Like you need to be a little bit lower. They, they show you how to do it. It might just be a simple little thing. And then real estate's the same way. It might be, no, you're looking at this location over here. Why don't you go like a half a mile over here? I think you're going to have a better shot. If you, if you look at that, that's, that's the type of little nuance stuff we work on. I love to call it borrowed confidence. And that's what I, that's a, that's a conversation I have with a lot of, you know, new clients and such is just, listen, you know, I have a lot of confidence, you know, borrow my confidence. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's really what that course is, is, is being able to rub shoulders with you, uh, and a lot of the TAs and just borrowing the confidence of a lot of these individuals, um, and, and, you know, taking it into your own life. And so, uh, I thoroughly, if somebody's looking to take a next step, um, it, you know, I think your course is the best in, in the industry. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I don't say that half-heartedly. I, I genuinely believe that I think retire early with real estate is a must read. Um, you know, by the way, it, people can go on, I'm, I'm sure Amazon, but bigger pockets as well. It's a bigger pockets books. Um, and, and read that book or get involved with your course. But I, I, even if it's not that just following along, you have a lot of great tools and, and tips on your website. Um, uh, coachcarson.com. And, uh, you know, I, I thoroughly encourage everyone to go there. Oh, I appreciate it, Bradley. Thank you for all your support and just being an example, like what, what you're doing up there with your, your agency business and with your real estate investing is inspiring. Like, I just think it's amazing. And, um, I would wholeheartedly, anybody who has a chance to work with you would be lucky. Like, I know you have a pretty full schedule, but with your, your agents and what you're doing is just excellent. I get to see behind the scenes at this type of stuff you're doing and you couldn't find a better person to work with. If you're, if you're thinking about, uh, you know, doing anything with Bradley as well. So thank you for that feedback. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Chad. And, uh, again, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's always a thrill. I, I hope everyone here, uh, learned something. I know I did. Um, but I think the the big takeaway and the reason why I, I love bringing you on and I appreciate you generate, you know, generously donating your time here again today is just how long-term you are, how not, it isn't one size fits all for everyone. It's let's find a, a tailored approach to each individual, whether it's, you know, growing a big portfolio or whether it's keeping it small. Um, you know, I love how you just focus on let's do what matters. And we didn't even talk about that. It's actually right <laughs> behind you. Uh, but I have a shirt that you sent yeah. me that, you know, yep, do what matters. And that's what it's all about. Um, and that's the focus of your, uh, of, of everything you do is we're doing this to do what matters, you know, and that, and that can be your wire. That can be whatever you want to quantify it as, but, um, that's why we do it. And it's a big picture and something beyond just real estate investing. Uh, and that inspires me and it pushes us, you know, my wife and I, uh, so I genuinely appreciate all you're doing to the community and, and, and helping all of us out. You're welcome. Happy to do it. This is my, my pleasure. This is, I feel like I pinch myself sometimes. This is, this is a fun quote job I get to do hanging out with people like you inspire help hopefully teaching a few little helpful tips here and there but yeah this is this is this is my this is what matters to me what matters to me sure. is helping helping other people buy some properties and build some wealth and then we can all go hang out and have some fun as uh, people who have a little bit more flexibility and freedom in our life sure well all right chad i i won't right. take any more of your time i appreciate you coming on and uh and again um anyone that's out there looking to get into a course this year uh, i highly recommend that one highly recommend the book um not because you know but it's something that I personally did, um, you know, back, I can't, I, I think it, it had to have been at least 2018, uh, I think. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was, I went through that course, I read the book, those two things fundamentally changed 
many things in my, in my life, but the biggest one was to focus, you know, you've helped me focus less on, on today and more on 10 to 20 years from now. And, and that's been the biggest change in our wealth building for sure. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Bradley. Appreciate you letting me be on. That's the end of the podcast. You are amazing for listening to the whole thing. Thank you so much. Don't forget to go grab your free copy of the House Hacking Blueprint. You can download it in the podcast description link, or if you text House Hack, all one word, to 22828. Thanks again. I hope you have an amazing day.